Welcome to the Vine Life Podcast. We're a church in Manchester who love Jesus, each other, and our city. Catch up on this week's message and more. Thanks, John. Amen. I'm, um, as, as you just heard, my name's Phil. Um, I come, I've been coming here just over a year now with my wife, Janine. Um, Janine's in Game Changers today. She's helping out with our two children, uh, Daisy and Rosie. Um, and it's just been an absolute, the, the last year has just been an absolute blessing getting to know you guys. And I still don't know all of you. Um, this is probably one of the biggest churches I've ever, ever attended. Where I, I came from a, uh, a couple of small local churches up in North Manchester. And, um, but it's absolutely wonderful to be here. This is where, where God has planted us. And um, you guys are all wonderful, I have to say. Let's just see. Let's uh, read from um, Acts 1. Let me just go and grab my Bible a sec. <laughs> Caught without my sword. Oh, dear. So it's Acts 1, verse 12. We're sort of bookending from where um, Ralph left off. Um, not Acts 12. That's not going to work, is it? Okay, everyone got their electronic devices, their Bibles and stuff like that. <laughs> and we'll probably come up on the screen as well. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, King James Version, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, uh, sorry, when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. I'm just going to read that again. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120. And said, men and brethren, this is definitely New King James, this scripture has had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with, all, with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now, this is just a bit of a warning here. It could get a bit, uh, bit messy. Now, this man purchased a field with the wages of his iniquity and fell, falling headlong, his, he burst open in the, middle of, in the middle and all these entrails gushed out. <laughs> Lovely. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so that the field is called in their own language, Akai Daima, that is the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate and let no one live in it. Let another take his office. Therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time, and the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to the, that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must be, become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed to Joseph called Bar... Bar Sabbath, <laughs> who was surnamed Justus and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which of these two 
you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots and the lots fell on Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And then this is the bit all the charismatics love. <laughs> Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they appeared to them divided then sorry, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak other tongues as a spirit gave them utterance. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Oh, sorry, I was in an Anglican church for six, six years. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yeah, thank you, Jesus. Let's have a brief word of prayer just to settle my nerves more than anything. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Father, for these people out here. Thank you, Lord God that these people sat in here are your children, Lord God. And this morning, they don't need to hear from Phil Gorman's heart or Phil Gorman's mind or Phil Gorman's opinions. But Lord, they need to hear from you. So Lord Jesus, I pray that my voice and my mouth would be your instrument this morning, that it would speak your words, and that Lord God, that will bring encouragement, challenge, and just good blessing, Lord God, because I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today we are, we're concluding the resurrection stories. And uh, today is the day of Pentecost. That day, the Holy Spirit was poured out and the church was born. A church that is the body of Christ, a church that has been commissioned to make disciples a church that is awaiting for the glorious return of the bridegroom, that is Christ. And Pentecost is a day we talk the fire of God, isn't it? We talk about the fire. And sometimes when we think of the fire of God, we think about supernatural events and weighty spiritual moments in our gatherings. And this is all good. And as someone who's been brought up in a charismatic church. Oh dear, that could have been disastrous. As someone who was brought up in a charismatic movement and charismatic church, I've experienced many wonderful and amazing experiences of the weight of God and the power and the fire of God. But over the last two weeks, Ralph has challenged us to be commissioned and go out and make disciples. But Jesus knew that we couldn't fulfill this great commission in our own strength. So the purpose of holy fire is so that we can reach a lost and make disciples in his power and authority. Amen? It's not just for us to feel all fuzzy and nice in a meeting. It's for us to be empowered and go out in authority. So this week, I want to briefly explore what is required to carry holy fire. Now, if I wanted to build a fire in this hall, I am a bit of a pyromaniac. Don't worry, John. I'll uh, hold it back because I uh, don't want you to get in trouble with the school. But if I wanted to build a fire in this, this hall, I would need three things. 
Can anyone tell me what those three things I would need? Fuel, yeah, some sort of fuel. Right, we've got some fuel here, I think. What sort of fuel do you think would be good? Sort of wood, oil, stuff like gas? Well, we've got a table here. There we go. I promise I, I, I won't do this live. So we pile that up. Um, maybe we could just, um, Joe, is it all right if I just use the? No, I may better not. <laughs> so yeah, we need some fuel. We need some wood and stuff like that. Uh, what else do we need? I heard something else. Oxygen, that's right. Well, we've got, we just, I wish I hadn't done that now. <laughs> we've got about 21% oxygen in this atmosphere. Is that right? Scientists, back me up. Yeah, about 21%. Rest of it's nitrogen. Some of it um, is also like weird gases like argon and stuff like that. But yeah, we've got 21. So we've got plenty of oxygen. Excellent. And what's the last thing we need? Ignition, ignition, yeah, some sort of heat source, an ignition source. So if we had those three things, which if you go on a fire prevention course, um, you would know is the fire triangle. If we had those three things, we would probably have a fire, you know? Although sometimes annoyingly when you're trying to light a barbecue or a fire pit or something, you're sitting there with matches going, <laughs> not watching Bear Grylls enough. But we, got, we need those three things. And I, I want to say that we actually need those three things for holy fire as well. So we're going to just look through those three things. And the first thing I'm going to start off with is oxygen. And oxygen is an active prayer life. Ralph showed us a couple of weeks ago what happened to the disciples, and particularly Peter, before Jesus was crucified. Jesus took his disciples to pray with him before he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Oh, my nose is gone. My nose is gone. Ah. He asked them twice to join him in prayer, but they couldn't keep their eyes open. Does everyone remember that story? You know, they all just were, you know, Jesus was like about to experience something really awful. Can you please watch and pray with me? And they're like, you know, a dribble coming out of the mouth and everything. And Jesus was like, oh, come on. You know. Can you not just watch with me? Can you not just pray with me for at least an hour? But they just couldn't keep their eyes open. At one point, Jesus warned them and said in Matthew 26, verse 41, let's see if this works. Yay! Watch and pray that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus knew that the disciples were about to face a great trial, and he knew that they wouldn't be able to stand. In Jesus, indeed, Jesus knew, himself knew that he was about to face unimaginable suffering. And so he spent time praying, praying, knowing that his humanity needed to his humanity needed him to draw strength from the Father. And when Jesus was taken into custody, the disciples became very anxious very confused and very restless. And in Matthew, it says that the, all the disciples deserted him and fled. They were all willing to follow him. But when trouble came, they didn't have the strength in the flesh to follow him. You know, the higher you go in the atmosphere the less, there, less air there is to breathe. 
and more importantly, the less oxygen there is. You see, airliners are pressurized so that passengers can continue to breathe at the altitude that they fly at. This is essential for the well-being of the passengers. It's not an optional extra. Ryanair can't charge you 20 pound per hour for oxygen. There is no option to be upgraded with economy with oxygen, okay? We need oxygen up there. And it's that important that some, you know, if they, I'm, hopefully I'm not gonna trigger any sort of fearful fireflies here, but if there's anything that was to happen to that pressurized environment, then everyone knows the, the thing that masks come dropping out the top of the top of the ceiling so that you can breathe while the pilots get down to a safe altitude. If we didn't have that, well, anyway, <laughs> let's not scare you, scare you from flying. <laughs> if we are starved of oxygen, we start feeling the effects of something called hypoxia. Does anyone know what hypoxia is? Any medical people just make sure that I'm saying the right thing? But it's the symptoms of hypoxia. And interestingly, the first symptoms include anxiety, confusion, and restlessness. You see, the disciples were suffering from the effects of a sort of spiritual hypoxia. They didn't watch and play, pray, so they weren't breathing the Father's oxygen. They became confused and anxious, and ultimately, they deserted Jesus. And as Jesus warned them, they fell into temptation. In the confusion, Peter cuts off a soldier's ear. And that wasn't the right thing to do. And then eventually, he goes off, as we heard the other week, and denies Jesus. If we don't spend time, and John prophesied just then, if we don't spend time in prayer, we will become anxious, confused, and restless. And if we're not careful, we'll ultimately fall into temptation. Now, I think the disciples' followers continued in this state of mild spiritual hypoxia right up until Jesus' ascension, or even just after Jesus' ascension. It says this in Mark 16, verse 14. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Luke 24, verse 38. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your mind? Every resurrection story that we've heard over this season served as a hit of oxygen for the disciples. Is this Jesus was like just sustaining them. Hey, hey, I'm here again. Come on, take a hit of oxygen. And then the disciples were like, oh. they were like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of that kind of thing. Sorry, that was a bit weird. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? They were, they were taking a hit of oxygen. Every time they saw Jesus, like... Okay, okay. They still were confused about what Jesus was doing. Even in the final resurrection story we heard last week, the disciples were still looking to Jesus as someone to lead a rebellion. Acts 1 verse 6, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? 
As Jesus disappeared that final time, they were looking to the sky and they were still confused. What's going on? What's happening? Something had to change and they couldn't live in this state for any longer. Let's be careful that we are not subcontracting our prayer life to others. Let's be careful that we're not subcontracting our prayer life to others. We can't live off the prayers that these lovely people give you every week. We can't live off the prophetic words that these lovely people over here give us every week. It's like taking a hit of oxygen for the week and then trying to live off that for the whole week. It's not going to work. It's not going to be very effective. You know, has anyone seen that film, um, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, you know, the Tom Cruise film? And... Um, and Tom Cruise sort of like apparently held his breath for like six minutes because he's Tom Cruise. You know, we can't be like that in our prayer life. I can't hold my breath any longer than 30 seconds. We just can't do it. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with standing with us as in prayer. It's really important. You know, I don't want to discourage you from coming and praying with people. That's really important. I don't want to discourage you from going and getting a prophetic word. It's important. If you feel like the Lord said, go on, go and speak to them, then you do it, go for it. But we should be very, we should be rarely surprised by a prophetic word if we have an active prayer life. If we have an active prayer life, we shouldn't be that surprised when people speak things over us. We shouldn't be like, oh, that's amazing. We should be like, oh, yeah, God's been speaking to me about that. Yeah, thank you very much for confirming that. If we have an active prayer life, we will be able to discern when things are from God and when things are not from God. Maybe someone comes up to you and goes, I just feel like the Lord's saying this to you. And bless him, they're, they're meaning well, but then you go, actually, God hasn't been speaking to me about that. So I might just leave that one alone. An active prayer life gives us confidence in our identity in Christ. Let's go back to our disciples. Now that Jesus had ascended to heaven, the disciples can't stay in this, spiritual, this state of spiritual hypoxia. Jesus wasn't coming back to provide the hits of oxygen, the hits of oxygen anymore. They now needed to breathe for themselves. Acts 1 verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem for the hill called, from, from the hill called the Mount of Olives. This is better, this is the NIV. And the Sabbath, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were st staying. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Let me say that again. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. On the way to Jerusalem, someone must have had a bright idea. Okay, guys, we don't know what's going on. This is confusing. This is a bit 
you know, we're restless, we're anxious. We need to start praying. So they devoted themselves to constant prayer, just as Jesus instructed them to in the garden. And you know what? The effect was immediate. Between Acts 1, 15 to 23, we see Peter begins to lead these 120 gathered people, the first church in the community. He begins to lead them by appointing a replacement for Judas. No longer were they confused. No longer were they anxious. They were moving forward together with clarity and wisdom. They were praying and they were breathing. So so as we come to the end of this oxygen section, let me pose you this one question. How often should we pray? You don't have to answer. Well, how often should we breathe? If you want to know how often we should pray, then how often should we breathe? 1 Thessalonians 5:17 is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6:18, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. And there's this quote from Smith Wigglesworth, which I absolutely love. I heard it last week, and it's brilliant. I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer at one time, but I never go more than half an hour without praying. I'm going to read that again. I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't often spend more than half an hour in prayer at one time, but I never go more than half an hour without praying. This is what it says in Luke twenty-two thirty-four. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with the carousing drunkenness and anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. An active prayer life supplies oxygen for a heart on fire. How are we doing for time? Oh, no. Fuel. Now, the fuel for our fire is the word of God. I'm just about to warn you. I might shortchange you a little bit. I might have to just do the the fuel and oxygen bit. But I kind of knew that was going to happen. Let's see how we get on anyway. The fuel is the word of God. The fuel for holy fire is the word of God. While he was on earth, Jesus taught the disciples the word of God. Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Jesus was the word, John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then a bit later on, John 1 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus taught his disciples. He spent three years putting the word of God into his disciples. And most of the time, the disciples didn't understand it. But they persevered. It's quite funny. We have lots of little moments, don't we, where the disciples are just like, I don't get this. You know, they'll say something stupid. And Jesus like, no, 
No, that's not what I meant. Or Jesus had to explain things to him. The disciples didn't understand it, but they persevered. When Jesus' teaching went a bit strange, when he started talking about eating my body, drinking my blood, do you remember that? Ralph talked about that earlier, a um, few weeks ago. Then loads of people were just like, this is, this is a bit weird, I'm not having any of this. And they sort of wandered away from Jesus. They sort of ran away. And Jesus said to them, do you, said to his disciples, do you also want to go away? But the disciples said, responded like this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Sometimes when we read God's word, it may be difficult to understand, especially when you get to like Leviticus. It can be difficult to understand it. And you know what? In the world that we live in and the things that we expose ourselves to, sometimes we don't even agree with it. Sometimes like, oh, wow, this is so different. This is so alien. And we don't agree with it. But let's remember that this is to be expected because in Isaiah 50, 55 verse 9, it says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even though it's difficult to understand, it's important that we persevere and carry on reading the word of God. This is because if we carry on with that Isaiah passage, Isaiah 55 verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The more we read his word, the more it goes down deep into our souls and is ready to accomplish that what he desired and achieve the purpose for which he had sent it. Listen to this story again about Smith Wigglesworth from the US evangelist chap called Lester Summerall. Does anyone know Lester Summerall? Some of the older people maybe know. Oh, okay. Lester Summerall is quite a, a jolly evangelist. And um, Lester Summerall was being mentored by Smith Wigglesworth. And one day during the Second World War, he went to see him in Bradford. This is where I really need Karim right now. When Wigglesworth opened the door, and this is what, this is what Lester Summerall said. When Wigglesworth opened the door and said, here I am, brother, Wigglesworth, he did not respond. He just glared at me and said, hoots under your arm, which that meant in his British forward slash Bradford accent, what is under your arm? I said, I have an umbrella under this one and a morning paper under this one. Wigglesworth said, throw the paper away. You can't come in here with that. I, do, I don't permit those lies in, into my house. Hitler and Mussolini will soon be in hell where they belong. In my house, there's only truth. And that paper is full of lies. So leave it outside. <laughs> That's Smith Wigglesworth here. <laughs> okay, no problem. <laughs> I'll get rid of the paper. <laughs> That's fine. Please don't. Please don't shout at me anymore. 
What are we allowing into our house? Smith Wigglesworth wouldn't allow lies into his house. He wouldn't even allow a newspaper into his house. What are we allowing into our house? What is our house? A house could be physically our house. What are we allowing through the portals of our house? You know, we've got big TV screens. We've got iPads and iPhones and all sorts of ways in which things can come into our house. A house could be our soul. What are we allowing through the windows, through our eyes? And our house could be this house, this place, our community. What are we allowing into our house? Today, there is so much content to consume, so many ideas, so many opinions, Instagram, Twitter, podcasts, books. We're just bombarded with it like no other time in history. There's so much stuff going on. There are different preachers with different ideas and interpretations. You can go on YouTube and read, you know, watch someone who's, I don't know, talks about one thing, and then you can watch another person about another thing. But at the end of the day, there is just one truth. And the truth is in here. I want to talk to you about something I've coined the Gorman Folly. Now, if my dad is watching, I'm sorry. I've not spoke to you about this at the minute. And, um, well, anyway, <laughs> I'll talk to you about it later. I'm going to talk to you about something called the Gorman Folly. And that basically is that when we were on summer holidays, my dad would often go to the beach like so many people do. And uh, most people would just kind of sit, build a few sandcastles, you know, sunbathe a bit. Not the Gorman family, you know. We, we had to do big civil engineering projects on the beach. So for a long time, I'd be, I'd be digging tunnels, you know, like try and make them as long as possible and like pass spades through them and all that kind of stuff. You know, I still do that now with, with Rosie and Daisy. They quite often wander off and I carry on. <laughs> but... You know, they, we're building these big civil engineering projects and then all of a sudden the tide would start coming in. My dad would go, right, come on, everyone. We need to stop the tide from coming in. We need to stop the sea from coming in. So we'd grab our spades and we'd start digging big dams. You know, with, with, as a 10-year-old, I thought they were huge. They were probably only about like a meter long. But, you know, to me, they were like covering the whole beach. And we'd just pile up all this sand. And we'd just like, and when we'd finish this this dam was ready and it was substantial. We, we put little pebbles on the front and it was ready and substantial. And then the, the, you know, the sea would be coming closer and closer and all of a sudden it would start lapping up against the dam. And you know what's going to happen. <laughs> the dam would start collapsing and start falling to pieces. And we'd still, and so then we'd go, oh, quick, let's, let's pile on more sand. And so we'd, we'd we were piling it on, piling it on, and still the waves would come in, and obviously the sea was getting stronger and stronger, and big waves started washing over it. And within like two or three minutes, the whole thing was gone. It was just, we were just stood there with spades in our hands, looking a bit silly. We did it in France once. <laughs> that was hilarious. All these French people looking at, what are these British people doing? <laughs> They're all crazy. But, you know, behind us... Obviously, the tide comes more and more in, and if you've ever been to like Crosby Beach or, you know, Morecambe or something like that, it can come in pretty rapidly. And before you know it, you're like, oh my goodness, uh, quick. And, you know, it comes in and comes in, and eventually it gets to the sea wall, which is concrete, which is just pure concrete. My time is going. Um, and, you know, you'd take shelter behind that sea wall, and eventually the sea would come in and smash against the sea wall, but that sea wall wasn't going anywhere. It was staying still, staying solid. 
You know, sometimes we try and defend our souls with the teaching and the philosophy that comes from this world. But they're just not strong enough and can actually cause more suffering and pain. We build one dam with human ideas and it collapses. So we build another using another philosophy and other ideas, but that too fails. We waste time and energy and materials trying to prop our senses up with weak materials. It's only when we take shelter behind God's word that this, this strong concrete seawall that we are sheltered from the waves of trouble. And you know, I've spent probably 25 to 30 years with my feet on this word. I can honestly say that I have spent 25 to 30 years with my feet planted on this word, with this in front of me as a seawall defending my life. I've had all sorts of trials. I've been through all sorts of things. I've been through doubts of depression, anxiety, all sorts of things, but I've always held this up in front of it. And I've never, in those 25 years, I have never ever suffered shame. I might look foolish in the eyes of the world. I might look foolish. People might go, oh, why are you believing all that? It's all a bit weird. But I've never suffered shame before God. Colossians 2 verse 8, beware that lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Proverbs 4 verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. You know, maybe it's time that we, I don't know, maybe we need to be careful about the things that we read. Maybe we need to be careful about the podcasts that we listen to. Maybe we need to just be a bit discerning. And maybe we should start holding up our Bibles a bit more. A few months ago, I don't know if you remember, but I talked about foam swords and proper swords. And that sometimes we fight with those silly kids' foam swords and it doesn't seem to make much difference. We need to pick up our big swords that God has given us. His word is fuel for a holy fire. What time is it? I had all this thing about the heat being in the right place in the right time. And um, I've just run out of time. I can't, I can't share that. Maybe that's for another day. Well, let's, let's just respond, you know, because I'm aware that, you know, I've said some things which are quite strong and maybe feel a bit heavy, but my heart is for every believer to stand on their own two feet, to stand on the word of God. My heart, as John says about prayer, my heart is that people spend time with God so that they can find their confidence and their identity in Christ. Not in anything else, just in Christ. And my heart is to see people running with the fire of God. 
see people making um, uh, see people making disciples with the friends around them, the people that they meet. And I'm not really sure how I'm rubbishly responsive, but I, let's just let's just spend a bit of time in quiet. Let me just um, let's just turn our attention to Jesus. Let's turn our attention to the Lord. You know, so often we rush on from one thing to the next thing, and the Lord's trying to tell us something. Just start listening to the Lord. Maybe there's some things that you have uh, that you've kind of needed into your life. Some of the, some things that you've allowed to to creep in. Some things that you may have read in a book, or maybe some p- podcasts that you've been listening to. And the Lord's just kind of saying, "Listen, you don't need that. Don't put your trust in that. Put your trust in me." You see, there's a rock that hasn't moved. It'll never move. It was standing there before the world began. And the Lord is calling us to stand upon him. The Lord is calling us to get a a supply of oxygen from him. He looks sometimes at us and thinks, you're rushing from one thing to the other. Just come and Spend a little bit of time with me. Even if it's just a a 10 minute time of prayer regularly through the day or even just a, Lord, just come be in this presence right now with with me. I just feel like when I was preparing this, I felt like there's some, there would be some titles of books, maybe titles of podcasts that, would just be coming to your mind now where you'd think, where the Lord's like, ah, now come on. That's going to put out your fire. All looks very good, but it isn't my word. And I'm not going to tell you what those things are. That's between you and God. But just start to listen to God. What is he saying to you right now this morning? He's here. He's jealous for your soul. He's very, very, very jealous for your soul. He made you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows everything about you. He knows what you need. Come and breathe his oxygen supply. Come and stand on his word. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your presence. If the prayer team want to come down the front, that'd be great. Maybe for some of you, you've never really responded to Jesus before. You've never responded to, to his calling. You see, we can't do any of this without being reconciled to God. And 
That's that unimaginable suffering that Jesus faced was so that we could be reconciled to God. And for some, maybe you need to call on the name of Jesus this morning. For some of you, maybe you need to repent. There's nothing wrong with repenting. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I repent every day, especially behind the wheel of the car where sin abounds, just as Richard was talking about. There's nothing wrong with repentance. There's no shame in it. Jesus understood that our flesh was weak. That's why he died for us. That's why he shed his blood for us. So if this morning you feel as though you need to just give your life afresh to Jesus, just come and see one of these lovely people here and pray with them. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation. Hope you enjoyed today's message. If you want to find out more, head to our website, findlife.co.uk, or follow us on Instagram. God bless and see you soon.